Hello and welcome to another episode of Planning People, the anime podcast. This week we're continuing on from a focus we took up last year in the aftermath of a revealing and candid interview with Quilter Chief Executive Paul Feeney. We are here, of course, to talk about mental health. I should say at this point um, that there will be mention of some quite serious topics, so don't feel bad if this one isn't for you today, just chill. Um, now, why are we doing this? Um, well, we want to emphasise that mental health affects all of us, and whilst we aren't going to make any grand claims about solutions necessarily, I'll try and leave the politics out of this, um, we do think a collegiate approach to mental health is helpful, and that means having a conversation. Doing that can be scary and daunting, but I'm pleased to say that I'm joined by a willing guest uh, who is keen to promote transparency surrounding this issue. Steve Nelson is Director of Consulting at the Landcat. He and I have been having a couple of conversations around this issue in the lead up to this recording, and we have some things prepared for you. Steve, thanks so much for joining us. Hello, how are you? Hi there, Ollie. Uh, no, thanks very much for, for having me on. Uh, I'm, I'm very well. I'm very tired today, actually. I'm very tired. The yeah, sleeper train. I took the sleeper train down to London last night, which was, uh, in retrospect, a, a suboptimal choice, I think. A suboptimal choice. Not um, conducive to mental or physical health. No, 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 absolutely not. Uh, but I'm, I'm here in good spirits. I'm looking forward to, to having a chat with you today. Oh, it's, it's a very serious subject, but I think we can, we can shed a bit of light on it as well. So I'm looking forward to it. I think so. Um, as you're well aware, nobody comes on the podcast without undertaking the dreaded quiz. Uh, this week, I have prepared a tasteful ten-parter on some of the statistics that our listeners might not have heard about on mental health, and some of them are even specific to the financial services sector. How kind am I? I've done that for everyone. Um, shall we begin? Go for it. Yeah. Question one, Steve. What is absenteeism? Ab- absenteeism? Yes. Well, uh, I don't know, Ollie. Surely it's the measure of... Uh it's, it's the measure of absence from the workplace. And Absolutely some correct. So, and where it relates to mental health, the pattern of being absent from work, a uh, really crucial issue, uh, which I imagine we'll discuss later on. Um, but the important thing just to say is that absenteeism can be good for mental health and that people take time away uh, and hopefully come back refreshed. Um, question two, what is presenteeism? Well, it must be the opposite then, Ollie. That's absolutely right. <laughs> so uh, This is going very well. Does the, that, this means I'm ahead of Barrett, doesn't it? Absolutely. That, that's absolutely correct. Barrett did not do that well. <laughs> Sorry, Mike. Um, Steve, the lost productivity that occurs when employers employees come to work ill and perform below par because of their illness is the definition of presenteeism. Uh, where that relates to mental health uh, is uh, very obvious and that if you come to work and you're not feeling great but you don't really realise that it's time to take some time off, um, then everyone, including you, can suffer more. Um, question three. According to Mind, uh, who was citing an academic paper at the time, what ratio of people will experience a mental health problem each year? This is the classic statistic, Steve. This is the one that we hear all the time. Oh, th- thanks for that. <laughs> uh, God, I don't know off the top of my head. It feels like one in four or one in three. It's one in four. Right. Correct. One in four people will experience a mental health problem each year. Um, of, of any variety, it can be the milder things like mild depression, anxiety because of a specific issue or longer term stuff, or indeed the very, very serious things. Um, question four, according to the NHS's statistical body, NHS Digital, at any one time, what proportion of the population in England aged 16 to 64 have a mental health problem? Present tense. Present tense at any one time. Uh, I'll give you a clue. It's it's less than one in four. Yeah, I'd say around one in ten. It's one in six. One in six. Wow. Um, so one in six people will have a mental problem, a health problem at any one time. Question five, a big one now. Is the percentage of people with really severe mental health disorders increasing or decreasing? We're talking about you know your psychosis, your schizophrenia here. Is that going up or down? 
Oh, let's not overthink it. I'll say down. It's actually increasing. It's still increasing. Right? According to NHS Digital, in the year of my birth, 1993, uh, it was pretty much bang on 7% of people had a uh, serious mental disorder. In 2014, it was 9%. So I was going up. Question six, true or false? Women are now much more likely to have a common mental illness such as depression or anxiety. Uh, no, I was reading this the other day. So anxiety, it's true. I think. It is true. Yeah. One in five women report that they have had depression or anxiety compared to one in eight men in England. However, question seven, true or false, men are more likely to take their own lives. That's definitely true. It is definitely true. Suicide is the biggest killer of men up to the age of 49 and men account for around three quarters of that. That's absolutely massive. Uh, it's an epidemic, some would say. Um, question eight, how many prescriptions were dispensed for anxiety, depression, obsessive compulsive disorder in 2016. Think millions and think reasonably big, Steve. In the UK? Yeah, in the UK. Uh, how many different prescriptions are 10 million? 65 million. 65 million. In 2006, it was actually less than half of that. It was 31 million. So all of that is on the rise too. Question nine, the financial services section. According to the CISI's December survey on mental health and financial services, which I thought was fascinating, what percentage of respondents felt comfortable talking to their manager about mental ill health? Uh, okay, well, surely it has to be less than half. Correct. Um, <laughs> felt comfortable talking to, so their immediate manager? Yeah. 15%. It's 46, um, so less than half. Really? And, you know, I think that's probably better than some sectors, just as an indication, but it's... You know, Surprise, it's, I mean, it's still poor. But, but it's, it's surprisingly high, I find. Yeah. yeah. Okay, still pretty. Um, so fewer than half of respondents said they'd be comfortable talking to their immediate manager about mental health. Um, I, th I think that's pretty damning. I mean, I think we can do better than that. Question 10. According to the same survey, what percentage explicitly declared that they were not confident talking to their manager? It's explicitly declared yeah, they that explicitly they were not confident. clicked on the survey, I am not confident talking to my manager. 20%? It's 31%. 31%. Now that's an explicit problem right there. Uh, we'll come on to the issue of middle management in a sec, I'm sure. But suffice to say, I think that says all that you need to know. Steve, you've done very well there. You've done very well. Thanks very much, Some Charlie. sensible answers, and I dare say you've done a lot better than Mike Barrett. Sorry, Mike. To be fair, you had more questions than me. I had more questions, but proportionally... Um... <laughs> <laughs> Let's not make this all about me versus Mike, though. That would you, be get you get bragging rights. You get bragging rights. Steve, we've spoken about how there's a bit of an intergenerational controversy surrounding things like mental health, which is a sort of phenomenon that's emerged and become very uh, common parlance, in the, certainly in the last few years. Um, and I think you used the word snowflakes. So just for anyone at home, you know, what do you mean by that? And why is it relevant or indeed irrelevant here? Yeah, snowflakes so is it's, it's one of uh, the less uh, pleasant uh, bits of terminology that's, that's popped up in the last, I don't know, five or ten years, partly driven by the social media age, I think, mm. uh, partly driven by these unhelpful um, labels and bans that get attributed to certain portions of society. So I think we have uh, we have millennials are suffering from that just now. So anybody from the age of eighteen to uh, if you if some people don't believe this, but I fall under the description of millennial, um, being born in the early eighties. Um, everybody's exactly the same, apparently, according to to, to labels and, and unhelpful marketing. Snowflake uh, appears to be a, a term that's been attributed to people, particularly young people who. Uh, exhibit some sort of feelings mm. or opinions on on certain things, and it's it's not very helpful. 
uh, particularly in the field of uh, mental health or expressing some kind of discomfort towards uh, a situation. Now that's not the same as saying that um, some people are, are, are too ready to take offence. I think that's probably quite true for, for, mm. for certain people. Of course that has to be true. But this labelling of people who, who uh, exhibit any form of outward, whether it could be empathy or feelings, um, particularly from a male perspective, is just not helpful. It's not cool. Yeah, sure. Um, I think this relates a lot to the issue of sincerity. Um, uh, we spoke on the phone prior to this, didn't we, a couple of times about how you know one of the not-so-good side effects of a conversation surrounding mental health is this reductivism, this idea that things get reduced to simple explanations or trivialised, perhaps even in the same way that people are kind of categorised as snowflakes or millennials or even Brexiteers, dare I mention that word. <laughs> um, is there a solution, do you think, to ensure that this conversation about mental health and that transparency is not reduced down to these sort of trivial sections on certain topics? I, I, I'm kind of sceptical, Ollie, as to whether there's a magical solution uh, off the bat, right? I think, I think it's a case of everybody has to get that little bit better mm. uh, at, at what they do. They have to get a little bit better at jumping to conclusions. I think people have to continue to be more open as well, uh, people who do suffer uh, from, from mental health issues or or what have you have to have to continue to try and um, find the right the, the right method of help and to, to try and articulate how that feels. Hopefully, conversations like this will help to to demystify it a little bit. Um, I do I, like I have I do have sympathy. Um, I, perhaps sympathy is not the right word, but I do have a, a level of understanding, or try to have a level of understanding for people who haven't experienced uh, this in, in in any form of their lives. It must be quite difficult to to differentiate between uh, someone who is suffering from a, a, a proper tangible medical mental health is issue from people who are maybe just a bit down or, or fatigued or mm -hmm. unhappy for whatever reason. And, and I think when we've been chatting uh, away from today and bef before this, this podcast is that at the root of a lot of this is the fact that, that mental health is an intangible issue. You can't see it. Yeah. Right, you can't you can't get into someone else's head. So if 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 someone exhibits a, a, a physical issue, say if you break your leg or break your arm, then there's a very clear line of sight between you've got something wrong with you. You're going to get better. You're going to get treatment. And there's that before and after, and it's very tangible, yeah. and everybody can see it. If it's if it goes unsaid or if it if it goes unseen, then it is really difficult. Yeah. It is really difficult. I think I'm quite interested to hear what you've just said about. Um, you know, the difference between a very, very serious, tangible mental health problem and, and something that's perhaps uh, less permanent but still yep. uh, justifiably needs dealing with. I think one of the problems that we've had as a result of this um, sort of popularisation of a conversation around mental health is perhaps that things have become a little bit simplified and, and maybe now we need to broaden the discussion out a little bit to include a little bit more nuance because I think, yeah. you know, the people who are sat there, you know, I've, I know people in my life, for instance, who've uh, suffered for a long time with schizophrenia who, are, who manage that condition as, as well as anyone else with any other health condition would do. Um, but I know that they might take offence to the idea that um, on some level, their condition, which is long-term chronic and permanent, mm -hmm. um, might be equated with, um, say, an impermanent, though nevertheless serious, bout of depression that someone re re experiences, say, because a relative has died, for instance. So I think there's a, lo there's a lot of work that we can do there to be more nuanced about that conversation. And I think that's a fantastic point, Ollie. And, and the, the, the degrees of... I, I think you hinted at it there. There's, a, there's an umbrella kind of catch-all 
um, phrase that we, we have to be really mindful to not go down the route of of labelling everybody who's suffered some degree of, of of mental illness or episode or however you want to label it. It's, it's so different from person to person. It's so individual. It's so it's 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 so linked to your personality and and your your relationships and your friendship groups and what have you. It's so individual to the person, yeah. and you need to tread with a, a little bit more care. And that's the one thing I'd, I'd like to to get out of this. I, I guess is is that people tread that just that little bit more carefully with with everyone around them because you just don't know you don't know what someone else is going through yeah absolutely it, it's interesting you mentioned this idea of the individual you know I wouldn't I don't think of myself as an individualist I, I, I like to think in terms of community or you know a, a collegiate approach as I said earlier or you know in terms of uh, shared responsibility for things and people um, but this is very much about the individual isn't it and it's about promoting a self-awareness and a, and a kind of empathy um, at an individual level that then can spread outwards, isn't it? I think so. I think so. And I think it's interesting that you 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 hit on the point there about introspection and that it, it often involves a lot of, certainly from my experience, a lot of soul searching um, yeah. for, for the everything that goes towards the, the, the how you feel and how you react to things. And uh, I think certainly based on what, what I went through uh, albeit it's, it's a number of years ago now, it's still something I carry with me almost on a daily basis. It's something I think about, mm. and it's uh, and it's it's it is so individual and, and so personal to, to each person. Mm. Let's look specifically at mental health and financial services. Um, obviously, poor mental health can exist in any walk of life, career, or community. But I, I've wondered whether there are any specific scenarios that are unique to financial services that are perhaps more likely to contribute to low levels of well-being. Um, the classic one in my head is, you know, your fund managers at the moment who um, are perhaps, you know, really conscious of results of a, you know, of a target-based industry where people are there's a demanding income, there's a perhaps a squeeze on intellectual resources and looking and understanding the world around them. It was quite interesting. I looked at this chart yesterday online about how uh, that sort of conceptualised how um, people can be affected by the world around them and. It starts off with this sort of small circle in the middle and the individual relationships and things in people's heads. And, you know, around the outside, there's this huge sort of uh, sort of outer crust, which is the kind of the macroeconomic stuff, really. Mm. And, um, you know, we know that as a result of um, how much exposure online nowadays that the uh, people's uh, economic situation gets, um, that people are, you know, people can be vulnerable to that, and it just strikes me that there's a whole community of people out there. You know, your city analysts, your fund managers, who are very, very focused on what is going on in the world right now, and that that might really affect them. And I wondered, uh, I wondered whether that was ever being given enough credence. Yeah, may, maybe. And I, I think so. The the example that you hinted at there, Ollie, about certainly people in a target-driven environment, and certainly when the markets are exhibiting less than less than a. Uh, less than good uh, uh, indicators as we're going yeah. through a period of volatility just now, so that's going to affect a certain proportion of the of the, the population who work in a sales and new business oriented manner. Um, some people thrive on that environment, of course, and and it's what drives them and it's what drives their personality and, and fair play to them. So that's a one very very real example. The example that um, I think we were we were chatting about the other day that came to mind as well is in uh, the platform space, which is a, an area of the market that um, the Lancat are, are probably most known for, uh, analysing and participating in, researching and what have you, and we do a, a lot of work uh, closely with the platforms themselves. 
Um, but as you know, uh, a couple of platforms in particular have gone through some very difficult uh, technological upgrades and migration exercises, namely Aegon and Aviva. Yeah. Um, and it just struck me the other day that, that, that this, I mean, these issues are very, very real and we shouldn't lose sight of that. But the, often the people who suffer the most are the people on the front line, mm-hmm. the people who are that way removed from the pay grades of the people who are influencing the decisions and making some of the decisions that have led to some of the issues. And we're not here to talk about them, but I think it's worth pointing out that when we get into a bubble of, of critique and criticism and, and calling out these companies, and I'm as guilty as, as the next man for, for doing that, that the people who are dealing with the, the complaints and the issues and the, you know, trying to deal with... 15 different phone calls and, and complaints and issues all at once are the people who could be the most vulnerable. And yeah. I think it's worth, just before you start to flame someone online or jump into to, to criticism mode, although the, the issues are real and tangible, it's worth just pausing to think who's who's most affected. Yeah, and we are all only human. You know? Oh, yeah. It's, it's, and I, <laughs> you know, speaking as a journalist, we've, we've done a lot of, uh, you know, done a lot of stories about this as an issue. Um, I can count, you know, several occasions where I thought, you know, I really feel sorry for the people in the call centre who are having to deal with this torrent of uh, engagement from yeah. perhaps the advice community or disaffected customers, or you know, the people in tech who are just sat there at the computer at eleven o'clock at night, tearing the hair out, wondering <laughs> why on earth this thing that they're working on isn't working and for what reason. Yeah. So we're all human, aren't we? We are all human, but we ha- we have to learn from these things, and 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 the people who are responsible for the. Uh, these kind of exercises providing we all continue to learn and these get better then that's then that's kind of okay but uh, it's just to be mindful of the people who'd be affected I think yeah you spoke just then about you know the people pulling the levers making the decisions um, I know that we've spoken with each other about our own experiences of poor mental health and at the time that this was particularly acute for you you were working for a major brand in the life and pensions and investment world weren't you I was yeah um, I was without you know without naming names obviously <laughs> what was your employer's response and and how did that affect the situation so there there's so there's two main strands to this Ollie right so um, a little bit of background because I don't mind talking about it uh, so this was God, what year is it now 2019 so it's oh yeah. god uh, <laughs> it is. I know. Um, so this is almost exactly seven years ago now, uh, which was the, the really bad, uh, the really bad period of my life. Um, there were two or three different things that were that had happened in the lead up to this, and uh, I think I said on the phone the analogies. It was for me, it was a bit like the boiling a frog analogy. Something bad happened, but I was all right, mm. and then something else happened, and I was all right, and then something else happened, and something else happened, and then one last thing happened, and that was too much. I didn't see it coming at all. At first, like it was, it was ridiculous looking back. I thought I had the flu first because I, I literally could not get out of bed. Mm. Couldn't function, didn't want to eat, didn't want to see anybody, didn't want to talk to anybody, mm. couldn't focus for any length of time on, on anything, um, which is a, about the only skill I have really <laughs> in life, um, is, is thinking. Um, I thought, fuck, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Mm. I just, I can't, it's too much, I can't cope. I wrote a note to uh, my two immediate bosses. I think it was on a Friday, it doesn't matter, but I can't quite remember. They were f- absolutely fantastic, like a fantastic human response. Uh, I got an, almost an instant reply saying, right, you're not coming into work on Monday. We're gonna meet offsite. You're not gonna come into work. We're gonna meet somewhere else, somewhere neutral. Um, whether 
she was acting on the advice of, of HR or whatever, it doesn't really matter, but that was a good, a good thing to do. Uh, we had a great chat, there was no pressure whatsoever on me at all uh, to come back into work, which was, which was fantastic. So from, a, uh, from an immediate human perspective, that was really good and really positive looking back. Mm. It's only when you look back, you, you kind of think, how could, you know, what if this had, had been handled differently? My, how, how might things have panned out? Mm. But that, that was good. The thing I found quite alienating and I think um, should be better and I think large companies in particular need to be mindful of is that the ongoing, so I was signed off work for something like six weeks. I think, I can't really remember, it might have been eight weeks, might have been seven, doesn't matter. Um, but the ongoing care for me was handed off to occupational health for completely understandable reasons because mm -hmm. primarily it's a company's job to get the most out of people that they employ, right? Yeah. And uh, they obviously have a duty of care to, to individuals for health and, and well-being, but fundamentally it's about getting me healthy to get back to work. But I found that process was especially in the context of what I was going through, it was too impersonal. Mm. So it was all by phone. So I couldn't see the person that I was talking to. Mm. It was very clinical. It was then, the, the, I soon became aware that the, the transcriptions of our conversations were almost then being shared with management, which I understand why that was happening. But I was then like, given exposure to see them, which just wasn't very cool, I yeah. thought, looking back. And I thought that side of things, um, even if it had been by Skype, so I could have looked someone in the eye, yeah, yeah. could have been handled better. And I, th I remember as well, there was one phone call where I was having a really good day, where I, I had this very strange phone conversation where I thought, God, should I be, should I be more unwell at this stage? Am I, am I conveying like well enough how I was feeling yesterday versus today? It was all just, it was all just strange. And if that was dealt with more on a on a human one-to-one -one basis, I think that would have been a lot better. So that's certainly my experience of, of, uh, of how the company uh, treated it. So by and large, my immediate manager is fantastic, absolutely fantastic, and I would thank them if I, if I saw them uh, tomorrow in the street. Um, but the process around uh, managing me back to work, I think could have been a little bit better mm. in that respect. I don't know how you, how, how you feel about what I've just said. Well, I th I, it sounds to me like a very, you know, very fair assessment. You know, some good, some bad, uh, evident room for improvement. Um, it strikes me you were working for quite a big company. Yeah, what, like one of the one of the biggest yeah. life and pension companies in the UK. So yeah, and um, you know, perhaps there was a little bit too much, um, you know, process and paperwork there, and not enough, um, not enough personality. Um, I wonder whether there are ways in which smaller businesses. Um, can learn from that too. I think perhaps the things that they have on their side there are, you know, the intimacy within which the the in the work environment that the employees work in, and perhaps it's easier to walk down the hallway and um, you know knock on your manager's door, even if there is <laughs> if there is indeed an office, and which there may not be. Um, but I wonder where I also wonder where where small businesses would struggle. You know, where they perhaps don't they don't have the HR. Um, so firepower, if you will, they perhaps don't have as developed processes. Firepower is a good word. It's just it all comes down to resources. If you're working in a small company, then there's an element of there's a I guess there's an element of a lottery. You know, will will my boss? So if you work in like the Lancat, for example, there's only fifteen or sixteen of us. Mm. So uh, will the the owner of the company have the, the requisite empathy levels to to handle situations or mm. or whoever? It, 
in details responsibility for people management. Will they have the skills to to do that? And we are lucky at the Lanka. I mean, we're we're dysfunctional in many many ways, as you know. But uh, <laughs> I wouldn't know, go that far. I have a great relationship with Mark, you know, and and uh, there's there's been uh, one or two occasions, like nowhere near as serious as, as seven years ago, where you know I've needed a little bit of help, and it's and it's been grand. Yeah. But no, you're absolutely right. Firepower is a is a, it's a, it's a really good point. And I think one thing that's very relevant here for our audience in particular is this idea of startup stress. You know, you might have these smaller businesses that are not very old at all. They've been in business maybe for a year and it's still, you know, it's progressing on to the next yeah. stage of the business plan. It's good, but if it's if it's left, it may not be good. So it has to, you know, there's that constant pressure to sort of keep yeah. improving it. And, uh, you know, one can see a scenario developing in which, you know, the owner, manager, the person who's the mastermind of that entire process perhaps doesn't have the mental bandwidth to be able to spot, notice or cater for, uh, you know, the needs of employees in, mm. in the way that they might want to in an ideal world. Um, I wanted to, to ask you about the, uh, the, the, um, the mental health care packs idea because... We spoke about this, didn't we? And, and I think there's a bit of a debate to be had about you know, whether this is wishy-washy. For listeners at home, the idea of a mental health care pack, this sounds very practical. It sounds like a box full of goodies. Uh, I guess it could well be. Um, but importantly, it is uh, a list of things that you may or may not wish to give to your boss, your immediate manager, um, that say, uh, in, with full transparency, you know, look, perhaps I suffer with this specific problem. Uh, and on my bad days, I exhibit the following symptoms. Uh, so, you know, just shooting from the hip, for instance, I might be very restless if I'm having a really bad day with my anxiety. I might be up and down a lot making coffee in the kitchen. I might find it very difficult to sit still. So if you spot that, it might be the good idea to pull me to one side and say, you know, are you OK? Do you need some time off? Uh, even if it's just for five or ten minutes. The other thing is, of course, neutral topics of conversation. You could provide your boss with a list of things that it's okay to discuss that you're not emotionally invested in, um, in a bid just to perhaps calm a conversation down to provide a little bit of light relief even um, from the moments where it could be more stressful. Um, I wonder what you thought of this, Steve. I mean, I, I kind of, I'm tempted to say I love it as an idea, but I'm, I, I think like you, I'm, I'm wary of what other people might think of yeah, it. I I'm feel sh- like if we wrote an article about it on our website, you know. Yeah, I, th- I think I'm sure uh, people who are listening right now can probably hear us smiling a, a, a little bit. Because um, when Ollie pitched this to me, uh, I, I immediately thought of the, the Daily Mail comments. Yes. Um, and, and from certain uh, from certain sections of society, and I, I do think it was just around the name mental health pack, uh, which I was, I was trying to get my head around. I think, like fundamentally, the concept of 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 this uh, hints at a, a, a better and more productive working relationship between a, a boss stroke employee dynamic, yeah. and actually, what this what this is about is understanding uh, what makes that person tick. And if they, they suffer from, from some kind of mental health issue, uh, what, what things can be put in place to, to manage that as best we can in the, in the workplace? Mm. So whether that's packaged up as a mental health, mental health care pack or, or, mm. or not, it's kind of uh, the, the, how it's named is, is kind of irrelevant for me. Um, but I think the goal of having you know, an understanding of, of people who work for you is a good one. Mm, making it more mainstream. Um, if you're listening to this and you like that idea, then you have my friend Caitlin, Worthington to thank for that. Um, Caitlin, if you're listening to this, there you go. There's your shout out. Um, let's just talk finally about leadership 
Um, I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, we obviously had this conversation with Paul Feeney in the studio, in this very studio, um, about mental health, in which he was um, tremendously brave and spoke quite transparently about his own experience. Um, it strikes me that he's displayed a lot of top-down leadership uh, in implementing uh, what Quilter call the Thrive Initiative. Um, is it the case that we need a lot more of that in asset management, in financial services? Uh, yes, uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, I, I say that in the context of we need it all over the place from mm. from uh, from leaders and, and role models because it, it, it seems like uh, you know every month or, or or so we we hear of a tragic story from someone in 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 uh, whether it's the arts or or sport or whatever who've you know tragically taken their own life and these are people who are perceived to be successful, perceived to have it all, mm. um, but. You know clearly that's that's there's there's no correlation between success and and having everything and being mentally healthy. It, it clearly affects everybody. So I think the the, the top down leadership's a really good point, and and making it part of your culture of of your business to to say this exists first and foremost because it's so often it's a, it's a subject that's kind of hidden away and, and not spoken about. So there's that aspect. Uh, there's the the. The, the leadership aspect of, of being open with your, your thoughts and your feelings and saying, hey, I'm, just because I'm, I'm running this company or running this show, it, it doesn't make me immune to strains and stresses and, and imperfections. So I think that's really good. Um, and, you know, selfishly from a male perspective, you don't want to turn this into a gender debate, but that statistic you said at the, the start of the programme, what was it, 75% of all, of all suicides and... We've all, you don't need to think too hard to find an aspect of your life that's been touched by that, whether it's, um, you know, myself, a school friend, for example, or... Or, or just the commute member. home when the train gets or just the Or just the commute home. It, it happened in, in God, leafy East Lothian uh, to me um, last year. It's, it's, it's incredible and not in a good sense. It's, it's just, it's ridiculous that this statistic exists and we, need, we all need to get better. Mm. So getting back to your original question, yes, it can only be a good thing to, to say, um, you know, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm successful. And the, the example there of Paul Feeney, um, it is brave. It's ridiculous that it's perceived as brave mm. in 2019. I and uh, I would love to see a future where it's just normal, where it's just, hey, I, I keep coming back to the analogy of, you know, breaking your leg. Mm. But it's just, it's something that happens to so many people. And you either, you know, it, it can be extremely serious and chronic and you, you find a, a, a treatment path to work through it. Um, or it can be something that you recover from, which fortunately I did. Yeah. And it's not a taboo and it doesn't make you any different or it doesn't make you weird or it doesn't make you less of a person. It's, yeah. It just is what it is. And that, that's, a, that's a great goal to work towards. Um, perhaps you've just answered my final question, Steve, which is if you want one thing to happen as a result of someone listening to this podcast, what would that be? Uh, so if, if I want sort of one, one thing to happen. Yeah, as a result, someone listening to this and thinking, this has changed my attitude a bit, I'm going to do X in response. What would that be? Uh, God, that's, that's a really difficult question. I'd want so many things uh, to, to happen. I'd want someone who's really struggling to, to, for that to be the thing that, that, that says, actually, this is normal. I'm going to get some help and going to get better. I'd want, even if that happened to one person, 
uh, that would be that would be an amazing thing to happen. Mm. Well, what a very salient point on which to end. Um, my thanks to you, Steve, for your honesty and bravery talking to me. I know it can be daunting, so we really want to thank you uh, oh, no for taking part. It's a pleasure. Um, CityWire will be doing more content on this throughout the year, so if you're interested, keep your ears open. We'll be at the South East and South West events, Chepstow and I believe in Hampshire, um, doing panel session on this. Um, all that remains to be said is that if you enjoy this podcast generally, please do subscribe to Planning People on iTunes. And if you're feeling particularly generous, please do leave us a lovely review. So until next time, it's thanks and goodbye.